is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. Most people associate mushrooms with savory foods, but that's because many of us are unaware of both the wide flavor diversity of different types of mushrooms and the range of ways in which they can be incorporated into foods and beverages. Just a couple episodes back, we talked with pastry chef and mixologist Michael George, who made an award-winning cocktail that incorporated black truffle mushrooms. And today we're going to hear from a chocolate maker who offers a variety of craft chocolate bars using mushrooms, or what he calls our little helpers. Oliver Holacek co-founded Primo Chocolate, at the time known as Primo Botanica, in 2017 as a bean-to-bar company. The business has changed in process and focus over the years, as you'll hear him explain in just a moment, and Primo is now heavily focused on incorporating mushrooms into chocolate as a way to promote the functional health benefits of these fungal friends. Listen in as Oliver talks about the background of his business, his passion for mushrooms, and the importance of centering indigenous cultures when working with natural ingredients. Well, Oliver, thanks for talking with me today. Tell us a little bit about Primo Botanica and what you guys are all about. Totally. Yeah, well, I started Primo Botanica with my cousin, Jay, over seven years ago now. So we started in 2016. I had been very interested in herbalism and like functional food as medicine and wanted to start a chocolate company based on like my experience with other brands and, you know, kind of just seeing a lack of botanicals in the chocolate market. My cousin really encouraged me to uh, start from bean to bar. So we traveled to Costa Rica together, visited some, a farm that he was familiar with. Um, he like purchased property in Costa Rica back in like 2014. And he was acting as a consultant for some other chocolate brands and cacao farms there. So that was like his experience with chocolate. So he wanted me to like kind of do it from scratch. So we spent about two weeks in Costa Rica. I came back and brought like 50 kilos of cacao back with me and just started roasting and grinding like in my kitchen, just using my oven. So yeah, it was at that time, like it was, uh, it was really just like kind of a hobby business. Um, I had a few customers who were purchasing directly from me. Um, but that was like when I really started selling at farmer's markets and, you know, connecting with some local businesses in the area and like starting to wholesale. So like within the first year I was wholesaling and selling to farmer's markets. And I understand you have a background as an anthropologist. I saw on the site that uh, you had an emphasis on indigenous diets or some background with that. Can you share a little bit about how all of that has informed what you're doing with chocolate? Yeah, absolutely. So it was like when I was like 16, I got a copy of Nourishing Traditions. It was like based on Weston A. Price, who was like a dentist slash anthropologist that travel and study like the teeth of different indigenous people and he saw that traditional diets included a lot of fermented whole grains and dairy and meat um, and a lot of things that were like pretty contrary to um, what I had come to believe like I was like you know eating a lot of vegan food and um, like staying away from fat and sugar and that was not necessarily the case so I decided to study anthropology to 
learn a little bit more about like how people have like traditionally eaten and how they continue to traditionally eat like throughout the world. Traveled to Mexico a few times, like as a kid, that I've always been interested in Mexican culture. And I discovered that chocolate is like, is a huge aspect of my and an Aztec culture. And I really wanted to like dive into that. Um, so I went to school for anthropology to study food and agriculture and came out working on farms, working in kitchens and you know, a couple of years later, I started Primo to dive a little bit deeper into that knowledge, but also like, you know, kind of bring it into practice and start making like a nourishing traditional food. Share some of the ways that you are bringing botanicals into chocolate. How is that actually getting applied? Yeah. So I mainly work with things that are local to the Hudson Valley. Um, So I work a lot with like ginseng and various herbs like wild growing mints and mushrooms you know so like one of those being like reishi chaga both of those like grow wild in the Catskills and um, Adirondacks and I'd just been really interested in using mushrooms for not just for nutritional reasons but for like kind of political and social reasons at the time that I started my business mushrooms were kind of they weren't as trendy as they are now and I wanted to have people be a little bit more familiar with using mushrooms as medicine, but also have it be included in uh, sweet foods rather than like just the savory things that people are used to. It's kind of a way of like, like reconstructing culture a bit as to like, you know, bring mushrooms into, into sweets. So that's kind of how I, that's how I started infusing like botanicals into my chocolate. Yeah. With what you said about that sweet savory line, I don't think people think of mushroom as something that's going to dovetail well with the flavor of chocolate, but it works really well in the right context. Can you talk a little bit about bringing those things together from a flavor standpoint and maybe what you've had to do from a consumer standpoint to help people understand that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So originally I would actually pair specific mushrooms with certain origins of cacao to like match up the flavor profiles. Um, And that was like a great way of like having people understand that like mushrooms also have like a flavor profile, but primarily I work with medicinal mushrooms that don't necessarily have like a super strong fungal flavor. Things like chaga, lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, they're all like pretty earthy for the most part. They don't have that kind of like sulfuric flavor that like shiitake and button and portobello have. So generally they pair pretty well with anything, not having a whole lot of flavor of their own. Um, and that earthiness really just goes along well with a lot of the uh, South American origins of cacao that I use. So I didn't really have to explain a whole lot. It was mainly just explaining the functionality and doing tastings. And I did a bit of like pairing botanically infused chocolates with beer and wine and whiskey and coffee. You know, and that kind of like helped people wrap their head around what the flavors are. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned South American cacao. How are you sourcing your beans? Um, so currently I'm getting, so I'm getting a, like a liqueur through Seva Chocolate. So it's a nonprofit based in Albany and they work in Tosagua, Ecuador with like the Manabi people. So it's like a, it's a blend of Criollo Nacional and Fino Arriba. So a lot of like, like pretty ancient varieties of cacao. So they do all of the roasting and refining in Ecuador. And then I get one kilo bricks that are like shipped directly to me. So it's kind of kind of great because I don't have to worry about the roasting or the grinding or winnowing. 
Um, and all of those waste, like waste products, like the chaff can just go into compost. So it's like a little bit more efficient, um, from a production standpoint. Is that a change from what you were doing when you started out? Yeah. Originally I was just getting two, like I'd get like two sacks at a time, you know, so those are like 40 kilos per sack, you know, and I ended up just having to like buy them all the time and I didn't really have storage and didn't really have the capacity to grind the amount of chocolate that I was selling. So this is a way of like getting more, more cacao without having to put as much of my own time and effort into it. Well, let's talk specifically about the mushrooms. Again, you mentioned reishi, shaga, and lion's mane. Are there others that you've worked with beyond those three? And cordyceps. 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 And then there's uh, candy cat mushrooms that I've been getting from my cousin in uh, Mendocino, California. With the reishi and shaga growing wild around you, are you using entirely foraged mushrooms that you're, you're sourcing directly like that? For the candy caps, yes. For the chaga and the reishi, currently I'm getting it from Collar City Mushrooms. So they're growing it inside. It allows me to have a little bit more of a consistent supply. And then they're also like making an extract and dehydrating it on the premises. So it's grown in Troy, processed, and then in like ground into my chocolate. When you're actually making a bar with each of these individual mushrooms, are you doing something different with the from a chocolate standpoint to accommodate the differences in those mushrooms or is it kind of the same base and then just the mushrooms yeah it's pretty much the same base um and then i'm just like melanging in the mushrooms like a day in advance so it's like very well integrated into the chocolate is that just like a powder do you dry them and powder them yeah exactly okay cool and are you able to recognize much of the flavor in the finished bar or is it more the the health benefit that you're looking at you can definitely tell i mean like with the reishi the reishi and the lion's mane i would say like have like a more pronounced flavor chaga kind of just like blends into the chocolate i'd say lion's mane has like the most pronounced flavor but i think that gets balanced out with like the tahini in that bar so that's like a tahini lion's mane and chocolate bar well, let's talk about each of those from a health standpoint. I mean, you've, you've mentioned that you got into botanicals in this way because of their, their possible benefits for us. I don't know what claims you're specifically allowed to make, but can you share a little bit about the thinking behind each of those mushrooms and what they can do for us? Yeah. Well, so I've like, I've changed, you know, I've changed like kind of how I advertise the bars quite a bit. So I've been like focusing a lot more on those, like the functional components. So like reishi, reishi has a lot of, um, a lot of different qualities, but like mainly it's known for polysaccharides, um, which help with gut health. Um, so they act as like a prebiotic for gut bacteria. So that's going to lead to a lot of different things, but like overall, it's just known as like calming, cooling overall, like just bringing, like improving wellness. Chaga contains betulinic acid, which is, it's been shown to like, decrease the size of cancer cells, also containing a lot of polysaccharides, um, like most medicinal mushrooms do. The lion's mane is like a little bit more tricky. There hasn't really been like a lot of clinical studies on it, but it contains a variety of different chemicals. One of those supposedly like helps increase like neural or like improves like neural growth. So improves like the regrowth of synapses and can be used to kind of like postpone like diseases like Alzheimer's, but also just it's like known for improving memory. So that's the one that I like push as like kind of the brain booster. And then cordyceps, 
contains a chemical called cordyceptin, which I think is a it's a precursor for like adenosine, so like adenosine triphosphate, which is ATP. Um, so that's like what our cells need to produce energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so cordyceps is known for increasing stamina, endurance. Um, is generally like a good mushroom for like libido and exercise and like increasing performance. So those are the four that have shown to be pretty popular because they have such a range of functionality. And are you allowed to make specific claims like that when you're selling these bars or do you kind of have to speak around that? No, there's definitely like FDA limitations. That's why I mainly just say like brain health. Like I don't specifically refer to like like neural growth or anything like that. I just say like what the chemical is. And then I just, you know, I put the dosage on each bar. So like, you know, the there's like a suggested dosage for for the functionality of those chemicals. So like, you know, let's say like, like betulinic acid, you need to consume like, like 500 milligrams and like by weight in this extract, it's like, you know, 20% or something. So I've figured out the formulations to provide like the suggested daily dose, like of these chemicals. Do you have other mushrooms that you would like to work with in chocolate? Yes. I would say eventually um, I'd like to work with psilocybin mushrooms being that in New York state, we're working towards legalization a few other states like Oregon, Colorado, decriminalization is at least has happened, you know, psilocybin being one that has like a ton of research around it being used to like help people with PTSD, clinical depression, cluster headaches, all sorts of different things. So that's kind of, that's one of those medicinal mushrooms. I think that has some like very clear objective effects um, that have been like proven in clinical trials. And especially in small doses, they can be very safe, um, especially like in the proper setting. So I'm like shifting towards uh, being able to do that. I'm part of a not-for-profit called the New York Mental Health Alternatives and um, the New York Psilocybin Action Committee, which is the committee that has worked with uh, legislators to legalize psilocybin in New York State. So I'm a little bit on like the political side, and I'm hoping, like, I'm I'm hoping that like the permitting and like legislation for that will be like pretty straightforward. But I would like to, you know, probably have like a separate brand that offers psilocybin infused chocolate and other products to be used like with the facilitation of therapists. And this is kind of like where you know I've done like a whole rebrand of Primo, you know, I've changed it just to Primo Chocolate, really focusing on mushrooms. And the tagline is uh, your little helpers, you know, so I'm really focusing on like the mushrooms as being like a helper as like a functional, like delicious food. Um, So I'm hoping the rebrand will kind of help like shift the direction towards, you know, eventually being able to offer like psilocybin products. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. The Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Bar Stool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. 
I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my level two exam many years ago. I wish the level three had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. That's really cool. It feels like cacao and mushrooms both are natural ingredients that are very widely misunderstood in the broader culture. Do you feel like that specifically is an appeal to you taking an ingredient that maybe isn't understood very well and being able to translate that for people? Yeah. I mean, I would say like, as like, you know, as like an anthropologist and like enthusiast of mental health, you know, both of those ingredients are like very valuable because of their like entheogenic history, you know, so they're like their use in ritual. And I think that's like what is missed is like a lot of a lot of things that people are addicted to or don't use properly or are illegal originally had some sort of like ritualistic practice um, surrounding it. And I think what happens with like with colonialism and capitalism is that like the 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 ritual component of like specific foods gets ripped away and all that's left is like their like their chemical effects and their I guess like commercial properties. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, one of the things that I like to focus on and, and try to avoid, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to do that, you know, especially with, with the legalization of psilocybin mushrooms, it's very easy to see how it would just become like another like commercial product without any, uh, ritualistic component to it. With all of these ingredients, having connection to indigenous communities, whether today or historically, how do you navigate as a white person working with these ingredients in a way that is respectful and not colonial, you know, not continuing that colonialism? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's a lot of like, I think about that all the time and it's like constant, a constant struggle and I'm probably not doing the best job with it. I mean, having a wholesale business and not like retail business has changed things to a big degree, like just not, not being as out there as much. But, you know, I donate a percentage of profits to like to local non-for-profits currently donating to NIMA, which supports a lot of indigenous therapists who are like working with psilocybin and other like endogenic substances. You know, and I think just like having access to natural mental health sources is a really great way to sort of like even the playing field and just like give people the healthcare that they need. You know, I think like lack of good mental health care is like, you know, definitely like a core issue when it comes to poverty mm. and the, yeah, I guess like that dichotomy between like rich and poor mental, like access to good mental health is like, is one of those dividers. You mentioned earlier, you used to do some pairings with you know, beer and wine and whiskey. I remember a few years back you were doing quite a bit with craft beer, right? You were actually alongside of a brewery. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. My retail location was like at Fabinet Craft, which was owned by Schmaltz Brewing. So yeah, I was doing quite a bit of beer pairing then, you know, it was a very like interesting juxtaposition. You know, I, I think like alcohol is definitely also one of those things that has like a multitude of different contexts that it's used. You know, you have like communion wine and then you have keg stands, you know, so there's like, 
there's like a wide, a wide range of how alcohol is used. And I think like with pairings and tastings, that was definitely like a huge thing that I was trying to provide and show, you know, alcohol and chocolate, both being things that are consumed as a commercial item in like large quantities. I think tastings just kind of like help reduce the amount that one consumes um, by having more of a conscientious relationship with flavor and sourcing and ingredients or whatever other information is available from the brewer. Um, so I actually recently did a beer pairing at the Troy Beer Garden and we paired four different beers. I think we had like a couple from, there's like the Beaver Bite Lager, a couple of Zero Gravity beers, and I think the uh, Minky Boodle. And we paired those with um, some Wild Forage truffles that I made. So I found some, uh, I'm trying to, yeah, I did like a like locally foraged mint. I had some uh, Japanese knotweed. I paired that one with the Minky Boodle because it has like, a sour flavor to it and that paired really well with the raspberry in the mickey boodle um so that's kind of like a way of like how i bring in this like conscientiousness kind of just like slowing down really focusing on flavor rather than like the effects of the substance you know it's like alcohol is a is a byproduct of fermentation but so is like a ton of other flavors and properties have you had the opportunity to work with any beer ingredients in chocolate making yeah, I've done a couple. I did a barley malt sweetened bar with um, like candied hops. So that was a really good one. That was like a beer bar. That one was like, that was way back. That was like in 2017. Uh, I think I made that one for a great flats brewery in Schenectady. Those, those bars didn't tend to go very well, mostly because I was like focusing on being like a gluten-free brand so it kind of like it was kind of hard to clean equipment enough to like keep like to to be confident that everything was like gluten-free so yeah and i i did some like stout truffles for five minute craft um so they were selling them like from the bar for a while then i was selling cacao nibs to a bunch of breweries for a while like i sold cacao nibs to schmaltz i sold them to artisanal um so they're doing a bunch of different like chocolate milk like milkshake stouts and like some cool chocolate beers. Schmaltz did like a, they did like a, um, it was like a mocha ale, which was really cool. Cause like most cacao infused beers that I've seen tend to be really dark, like stouts or Imperial or like a porters. Mm. Um, so it was cool to see it in like a lighter beer. Cause you could really taste like the acidity of the cacao. Um, like I think a lot of beers just use like basically chocolate syrup. Um, so it's like very chocolatey, but not necessarily the flavor of cacao. So this was like kind of fruity and like acidic and it was like, it was very tasty. Yeah. That's very cool. I'd love to see more breweries doing that. I've, I've had a couple beers, paler beers with it. And I think it's a really cool opportunity if, if brewers would, would try it out and, and if consumers would be willing to take the kind of leap of faith on it, because I feel like it's a great way to showcase the flavors of cacao beyond just chocolate, like what we yeah. conventionally think of as chocolate. Right. Yeah, exactly. What story are you telling with your chocolate at Primo? I mean, I'm kind of like telling the story of evolution. You know, I think like my brand has evolved very directly along with me. Um, you know, so I went from, you know, just like kind of having this like voyeuristic curiosity towards like indigenous diets and indigenous people without like, you know, really having like a genetic foundation in that it's helped me evolve more towards having a better appreciation for mental health and consciousness and spirituality 
and like white privilege and like all of these interesting things that come from like working with an indigenous food, you know, so I think I've gone from, you know, kind of, I guess, like being an anthropologist towards more being like a being an artist and a coach, you know, something that's kind of like the the direction that I'm personally heading like while while running my company. Um, but I think that the story is to like be yourself and to eat the things that you like and to be weird. You know, I think those those are kind of like the three main things. And that, that's that's been pretty consistent throughout. It's like be weird, do weird things, like create weird combinations. And don't, don't, you know, there's no need to like stick to any particular recipe if it's not uh, fitting for you anymore. I'm particularly interested in Oliver's hope for using psilocybin mushrooms in craft chocolate if it becomes legal to do so, particularly for its use in therapeutic applications. I'll be keeping an eye on this for sure. You can order the bars discussed in this episode at primochocolates.com. I'll put the link to that and the organizations Oliver mentioned in the show notes. Thanks to Oliver for coming on the show today and to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool.